uh, as often God works it all out for us. <coughs> and so that last song really uh, tells most of what I'm going to say, so I can probably just give you a few references and we can go home and have a cold shower, but I expect you want a bit more than that. <coughs> uh, four little readings from the New Testament. And the first one is in John and chapter 3. John and chapter 3. And while you're finding that, I'll find the water. I wish the floor wasn't so far down these days. John chapter 3 and verse 16. You might have heard this once or twice before. I had a busy day yesterday and the weather's hot. So it's good job I'm speaking. I stand some chance of keeping awake that way. Unlike the elderly peer who dreamt uh, one night, or dreamt one day that he was, he was speaking in the House of Lords and when he woke up he found he was. <laughs> Fortunately, I can still just about read my Bible. As I've told some of you before, uh, I, my ears help me read. Does anybody else find that their ears help me read? One and two, yes. They do, because you see, I have to have my ears to hang my glasses on. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to read. But unfortunately, I only, only need one ear at the moment, because the other arm's gone. But, so I said, how do they hang up? I said, like this. But they do, uh, the new pair is on, the, is on, the, uh, is on order together with the mortgage to go with them. <laughs> but there we are. Let's get back to the Bible. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, or his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's move across two books, shall we, to the book of Romans and chapter 5 and verse 8. The book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had part of this as our Bible verse on Thursday night recently. Just the last half, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I put it up as a jigsaw, and it's only when I got up there, I realised I hadn't put a full stop after us. So if you read it, without the full stop, it comes out, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans. And I do go on to explain to them that Christ didn't just die for the Romans, he even died for the people in Hern Bay as well. Isn't that lovely? that Christ died for the people in her, by as well as the Romans and as well as the rest. Christ died for us. And then move on one book, 
to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and then it mentions others. Again, for what uh, I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Now, last year, a couple more books over to the book of Ephesians. You should know where that is now, because we did a whole series on them. I've just got to find them myself. Uh, Ephesians. Just lost the chapter number. Yes, chapter 2. I don't know why I wrote down chapter 5. Chapter 2 and verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not for, from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Trust God will add this lesson to the reading of, of his precious word. Not been at camp um, for the last few weeks, one way and another. But a week's holiday and then uh, went away for a fortnight to camp. Had to open all those unpacked, uh, lots of underwear to make sure I had enough to last a fortnight. And then... Uh, And then I was at Detling for a week. But during those two weeks, we had, we had a great time. We took some young people from here, some f- through school, uh, some through one or two through uh, Thursday club, uh, one or two through Monday club too, uh, which was lovely. That was really great. And one boy who came through school, it's the first time he'd been away with us, He's just been at school for one year and his mum rang up uh, our home a day or two after he'd got back. Um, He's 12 years old and his mum said he doesn't usually get on with other children very well. Uh, He's not got a very good relationship with others. But he said he's had such a lovely time. He said he hasn't stopped talking about it since he's been back. Uh, Also mentioned that he managed to leave his wash kit behind which I had with me, as one of the other leaders said, he's a good lad, he's written his name on it all. I said, no, he hasn't, that was his mother. I don't think he's written his name on it. Not at 12. You just take it and put it down somewhere. It might be around when you want it, but it might not if you don't want to wash. But um, there we are. 
He had a lovely time. But the week before that, when they were older ones, uh, age 13 to 16, they decided to have a brains trust, you know, sort of a quiz where they could ask us questions. They wrote the questions down in advance, uh, and uh, we had to answer them, or some of us did. They put me on it. Bit of a waste of space, but just make up the numbers, I suppose, for someone with brains, but there we are. Do our best, do our best. And a number of questions came up about behaviour, uh, about belief and, and things like that. And they were very good questions. Uh, some of them uh, people would find embarrassing, never mind. They wanted to know, and that was the place where they could ask. And that was lovely. And, and uh, they didn't have to put their name on the question. Uh, and I think we did manage to get through them all. It took about two and a quarter hours or something to get through them all. <laughs> and uh, we did our best. But there was one question uh, we sort of divided them between ourselves when we opened the box before we started. One question, I said, oh, I'll do that one. So, so I did. And this is a question I'd like to answer today. Now, don't think this isn't a Christian service because I'm bringing this question up. It is. I said, of all the religions in the world, how can we know that the Christian religion is the right one? Now, that's a very sensible question for a young person. In fact, for anybody to ask, it's a good thing if we know the answer so that we can tell other people to ask us. How do we know? There are many voices out there calling for our attention. There are a number of, of uh, worldwide religions and other religions, but how do we know that our one is right? Can we be sure? And everyone will say, well, I just know in my heart, but they say that in other religions too. What's different, I, I put it, I rephrase it, what's different about the Christian message? I don't like to call it a religion because I always think of a religion uh, as men and women trying to reach God. So I just call it the Christian message because we're going to come on to what that means. What's special about our one? What is special? What's different? In fact, quite a lot. That makes ours, our way unique, or God's way for us unique. First of all, we read from John and chapter 3 and verse 16, and it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And ours is the only group that says God came down to earth and became a man. Now many of the others would think that was blasphemy. That God should become a man. Yet the Bible says that's what he did. Now, please don't ask, well, you can ask me if you like, I'll tell you what the answer is going to be. If you want to ask me afterwards, how can there be someone that's both fully God and fully man, and I'll give you the answer, I don't know. But God did it. But it's not something I've ever experienced apart from in Jesus. <coughs> and so, so he did it. God became man. Isn't that lovely? You see, sometimes people, uh, well, well, one day Thomas said to him, 
Well, Jesus, what's the Father look like? What's God the Father like? And Jesus simply said, you just look at me and then you'll know. You look at me, you think about what I do. And the more you look, the more you know what the Father's like. Because the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ bringing the world back to himself. He didn't just choose a man to do it. He came in the, in the form of Jesus to do it. Isn't that lovely? Don't worry about understanding it. Just think about it and bow your head and say, thank you God for doing that thing that I don't understand. A bit like when someone comes to fix your computer, you say, thank you for fixing that thing that I don't understand. Or your car these days. The first thing about our, our, our way is, the Christian way is that God came to earth as a man. And then we moved over to uh, Romans chapter 5, which I hope, hope you'll remember from what I said about those children. While we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us Romans. Now you remember that now, won't you? Romans 5 verse 8. Now it says very simply that only, not only did God come to earth as a man, but he came to earth as a man and died. And who did he die for? Die for? He died for us. And when did he die for us? He died for us when we were still sinners. Now Muhammad, the Muslims will tell you, uh, was a great man. He was a messenger come from God. But they do not claim that Muhammad died for them. Perhaps someone will tell you that Muhammad didn't die, but there we are. I think we know different. None of the groups will say that their great leader died not only for them, but in their place. In their place. Now, I very nearly did this. I was on an iron as I was getting dressed this morning. Shall I do this or shall I not? And I thought, no, I'll just tell them about it. We won't do it. I had a plan. But a piece of paper on every chair. And some pens around as well. And I was going to say to you, when your time comes to die and you get to the gates of heaven, if if the little, you know, little window in the gate should open and a voice should say, why should I let you in? In five words or less, what would you write on it? I was going to do that. So I want you to think in five words or less, what would you write on that piece of paper? I've done it in four. Anyone else done it in five? Yeah, four or five? 
You see, because in the end, that's going to be the important answer. And my answer was this, simply. Christ died for me. Simply that. Someone else might have had another word. I told you you can. That's quite allowed. But if you're going to write, I've lived well, I went to church, I read my Bible, whatever those things are, and they're good things. I was good to the cat. (laughs) Or to make it slightly longer, I didn't murder my children when they were teenagers. You know, things like that, and all those sorts of things. The bit of paper would come back and the door would be closed. Sorry. That wasn't good enough. Christ died for me, or words to that effect, is the only one which would mean the main door would be open and you'd come in and say, and the voice would say, Welcome. You see, this verse says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I just want to say to you this. If you're trusting in something else today, you need to get things sorted out between you and God. We're going to talk about that in a bit more, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Christ died for us. And then 1 Corinthians 15 Bill Turner, I think, when he was here many years ago, said that muesli was mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? He reckoned it did. And he reckons it was in 1 Corinthians 15, in that verse which says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He obviously didn't go much on muesli. I think it was when he found he was diabetic and had to change his diet. <coughs> but it's not that verse. It's this verse. I received... Verse 1 Corinthians 15.3 I received what and I passed it on to you. It was of first importance. It was number one. That Christ died for our sins. Now we've read that already. He was buried and he was raised. Now many of the great religions of the world will tell you that their leader died one way or another. Maybe they died valiantly, maybe they died of old age or something or other. But none of them claim that their leader not only died, but became alive again. I went to a a meeting for young people in uh, Canterbury. I wasn't young myself, I was just taking some who were. And I can't remember really much about it. It was in a school somewhere, I can't even remember which school it was in. But the speaker said one thing that I've never forgotten, and it was this. Anyone can say, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again. He says, but not many people can pull it off. (laughs) And I thought that was very, very important. Anyone can say it, but there's not many people who can pull it off. And uh, I think probably Jesus is the only one. And none of the great leaders of the great religion said that uh, their leader has risen 
again. Now we're three quarters of the way through my notes. And I don't think I'm going to still be speaking at 12 o'clock, so I'm going to move that coffee machine on a bit. You might want to do that. <laughs> I'll have a little drink to slow things down a bit. But it is a problem. How, how are young people to know that our way is the right way of all the voices in the world? Because life has to have a meaning. There was someone saying that on the radio this morning. I've defined the radio to you last time. You know what that is now. Now, for the older folks, this was Radio 4. And for those that are not sure, that's a new name for the BBC Home Service, although it's not quite up to all these new numerical things. And a man was saying there that I think it was, uh, I don't know, someone in the past had said, Life must have a meaning, and it has to be found. Now, I think, I think the man who, who said it was Conan Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle, now he found it, in the, or he tried to find it in the wrong way. So he was never really found it, because he didn't find it in Jesus, as far as I'm aware. Life must have a meaning, and that, I'm sure that's true. It, it would be hopeless if, if all we did is just lived and died like the animals or the pets or the cats or the dogs or anything or the flowers in the garden, they come up and they live and they die. There must be something more than this. <clears throat> and uh, someone said that there's a great God-shaped heart, a hole in the heart of every man and woman. I would say slightly differently, there's a God-sized hole in the heart of every man and woman that only God can fill. But uh, young people, they're searching. But the problem is, they don't know where to search. They really don't. And we have to have a good reason why they should choose the Christian way and not go after some other faith. Which brings us on to Ephesians and 5 and verse 8. Just after Galatians and before Philippians, Ephesians. Sorry, 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8. I wonder if it doesn't make sense. I'd have looked in chapter 2 and not chapter 1, really, wouldn't it? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There was a man who should have been on that brain trust, wanted someone with brains except he died 50 years ago or so, whose name was C.S. Lewis. Some of you might have read some of his books. A great Christian writer and thinker. And uh, he was in the situation when he was uh, coming into a room and a group of students in the university where he was, where he was teaching, 
uh, we're discussing uh, what's the difference between the Christian message and everybody else, like we're doing this morning, you see. And as these great uh, thinkers often do, he gave an answer, just one word. I'm not sure whether he expanded it or not, and this, this was the word, grace. That's the difference between the Christian message and any other religion of the world. Grace. Now grace is, or can be, what you say before your meals, a prayer of thank you to God. That's fine, that's grace. That's because he's given us something we don't particularly deserve. Grace is God giving us something that we don't really deserve and don't deserve it because of our sin. There was a lovely bit on the television and uh, this rather dumb blonde was uh, meeting a bishop for the first time. How do I address him? She says to her, her friend, just say your grace. So she went up and said, for what we're about to receive, mate. <laughs> but what C.S. Lewis meant was this, that God gives us something we don't deserve and we haven't paid for one of the problems in doing outreach is, uh, to, to people that don't know anything about the churches, they think if they come in with something that's free, there must be a catch. There's no such thing as a free dinner. Ever heard that phrase? There'll be a catch somewhere. And some people do um, Christian outreaches. They put on a meal or something and they make a charge. Not that they want the money. They're not doing it for that. And sometimes they might give the money to some good cause, you know. There's a dinner, five pounds, that's going to tear fund to help people in a certain place where there's been a flood or something, you know. And they get people in and they'll share, share, the, share fellowship and share the gospel or whatever. You see, because uh, there's no such thing as a free dinner, but God says there is. And I'm giving you something you don't deserve. And I'm giving you something that... Uh, that's free. And you don't have to earn it. And people just can't get the hang of that. But it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. What's faith? Faith is just grasping onto something that somebody has told you. Don't think of faith as being blind, it's not. See, there's plenty of evidence, written evidence for the things of Jesus. There's changed lives as evidence for the things of Jesus. We're grasping onto something that has a foundation. It might be invisible, but it has a foundation. There is a reason for believing what we do. Someone defined an, an, uh, an atheist as a man with no invisible means of support. You think about that one. An atheist, a man with no invisible means of support. But we have got a means of support. It's there. And it's there in this book. And it's there in people's lives. And it's there in changed lives. But you don't have to do anything. You have to receive it and grasp it. 
There are a lot of people who think that you have to earn God's salvation. But this verse is very clear. Not by work, so no one can boast. How can I be sure about that? Well, a long time ago, Jesus died. And he wasn't the only one that died that day. Upon the crosses each side, there was a man each side of Jesus. And one man mocked and died without Jesus. The other man turned to Jesus and died or went to heaven that day. That's lovely. They both died. But one died without Christ so that nobody need presume. And one died with Christ so that nobody need despair and say, I'm not good enough. But the man that died with Christ, he couldn't change his life. He was nailed to a cross. Now that, you know, that does rather limit your options, doesn't it? You know, about how you're going to live tomorrow and what things you're going to do and uh, hang him in, ask your mother-in-law after this and say sorry to your teenage children or whatever it might be. All those things you can't do. You're nailed up outside the city on a piece of wood until you die. That is it. He might have feelings of what he wants to do, but he can actually, he thought, he did nothing but by saying what he said. And my Jesus' reply, he actually has done a great deal over the last 2,000 years because it was written down in the Gospels, in the Bible, and a lot of people have understood about salvation by grace because of that. So he thought he could do nothing, but actually he did so much more than he could ever imagine. Grace, it's when you can't do anything and God gives you all that you need. He gives you his salvation. Somebody defined mercy is the goodness of God in not giving the punishment you deserve because of your sin. And grace is the goodness of God in giving you good things that you don't deserve because of your sin. And he gives us salvation and he pays the price for us. He's done it. But I want to know, not out loud, I want you to think this. Have you exercised that faith and said, Lord Jesus, you've died for me. Would you take my sin and make me one of your children? Have you ever prayed that prayer so that when you get to heaven and they say, yes, name, Derek Bingham, reason for coming in, and you'd better say, with your name on the front of that, Christ died for me. And I put my trust in him and I think he's got my name down there somewhere. And the final name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, that's all I want to say. And I don't believe in rambling on just till the clock gets to the right time. When I've said what God has given me, then it's time for me to shut up. We might want to sing that other song again or just have coffee early or surprise the kids and annoy the leaders. But I'll leave it to you good folks now. Thank you. Thanks, Derek.
Isn't the gospel great? Yes. And uh, many 